0: last week on the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast, as well as some older stuff that obliterated Nate or was a little bit naughty. That's all I got. All
1: right, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Kelvin. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. I wonder if that was as painful for the audience as it was for me. Man. It's a challenging interview to talk to someone who doesn't really want to be super forthcoming. Right. He has nothing to gain by talking to us. And it sounded like he was transmitting from a probe on the other side of Jupiter. And his name is Hakeem Bustler because the likelihood he busts is high. I don't like Hakeem Butler. I don't like Devontae Green Dachshund. And you need to give Eastern time by default. Oh, here we go. You can't give people Pacific time. You know how fucking biased that sounds? It's biased to the size of the population in the various time zones. And. So he sneaks out of the sound booth, creeps down the hall, and puts his ear up to Freddy's sound booth. And then he hears what Freddy's doing. And he's like, okay, okay, I see what he's doing. Okay, okay, I can work with this. Oh, the people, people on the street. Yeah, da, 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 da. Bingo. And then later he admitted, I, Freddy, I have to admit, you really kicked off the creativity there. I, I snuck out of my booth and drafted off of you. Pretty incredible. I love that story. And. Actually, I am considering changing the name of the Dynasty Dominator app to Fuck Football Guys. And if you did any prep whatsoever, looked at the rankings once, checked the show sheet once, listened to the clip of Marshawn Lynch talking to John Wertheim once, you would know all these things! What? Me? And... Oh, boy. That was a mansion fart. Whoa, hey, hey,
0: whoa, hey, oh. And...
1: Uh, bezos. ah
0: bezos that's all right he'll fix her up what's wrong with you and okay that time you definitely said dick but the problem is it's always getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and i'm like god when it's just this, this monster and todd haley and his wife don't believe in wearing clothes at all and was i relating that to something sexual it's the best way to go out on a sweatpant boner
1: Is this the time when you think people start masturbating to the show?
0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Sonic Truth Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Nate Liss. You can find me on Twitter at an outraged Jew. And, of course, with me today to talk everything post-NFL draft is Matt Kelly. You can find him on Twitter at fantasy underscore mansion. How are you feeling, Matt?
1: No distractions. No histrionics. No Mm. bells and whistles today, Nate. We are all business. This is the Meat and Potatoes Sonic Truth Podcast episode of the year. We need to get right down to business.
0: I'm ready. I'm ready to get right down to business. That's that's what I'm about.
1: I know you want to distract us with stories from your personal life and advice for around the house. I get it, Nate. I get it. I'm assuming that you want to divert our attention elsewhere, but I want to talk about the NFL draft.
0: I want to talk about the NFL draft. I also want to talk about gardening. I've got a gardening tip that'll save you hours. No,
1: no tips, no advice, no YouTube video breakdowns, no shredding other analysts. This is cold clinical NFL draft analysis that the people need, Nate. We have 50 plus other shows that we do every year that we can devote to shenanigans. Not this show. Not today.
0: Shenanigan-free episode. Here we go. I'm, I'm ready for it. No shenanigans. Evil shenanigans. I swear to God, I'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans. Hey Farva, what's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goofy shit on the walls and the mozzarella sticks? You mean shenanigans? No. Oh. Oh. You're to like shenanigans,
1: right? Put those away. God, I'm so ready. Business only. Business only. What was your big takeaway from the NFL draft? Your high-level takeaway? Oh, boy. High-level takeaway. Well, rounds one through seven, zoom out. What did you take away?
0: As expected, the running backs were a fade. We knew that they were going to be. Only
1: one went in the first round. Should not have gone in the first round. It was a reach by none other than Mike Mayock and John Gruden, as expected. Here we go. Uh, Only
0: one running back went in the second round. So you got two running backs in the first 64 picks.
1: Deservedly so, Miles Sanders. Deserved to be a second-round pick. Good job by Howie Roseman, as usual. So
0: big fades at running back. What I did not expect, and I think most people didn't expect, was the incredible fade at wide receiver and... Where some of these players went, there were wide receivers in multiple cases that actually jumped their counterpart from the same college that was expected to go higher than they were. There's numerous times it happened in this draft. So I think the I think the the fade at wide receiver was interesting. And and when I say that, I, I'm also saying that in the sense that wide receivers that were not expected to go as high as they did went as high as they did. McCall Hardman. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, let's. Uh, we'll get to Debo Samuel going way up. Deontay Johnson. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. Two names. Jalen Hurd. Where did that oh. come from? <laughs> way up the board. So there's a lot of names that came up in this draft. So I, I, I think the the positional shuffle running back went about the way we expected. Wide receiver was a huge mixed bag. I did not expect it to go the way it did. You you got your you got your vindication on Hakeem Bustlers, you called him. Yes,
1: vindicated.
0: And tight end worked out just about exactly as expected, with some other names rising as well.
1: Yeah, everything was as expected, with the exception of the wide receiver position. The NFL does not value wide receiver athleticism as much as Debbie Leaguers, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> The NFL general manager community showed us beyond a doubt that no one running any NFL front office participates in any Debbie League. Nick Whalen loves Debbie Leagues. Stop it. No, we're not doing this.
0: This is a down-to-business show. Statter gardening tips. I had to.
1: Sorry. I knew you would try to break my concentration with a Dick Whalen reference, and you did it in the first five minutes. I thought you said dick there. My big zoomed-out takeaway was the haves continue to gain on the have-nots in the NFL. And the haves all have something in common in that they focus on the right details. And it's not just that these front offices use analytics, but they also use analytics in a way that they can differentiate positional value. Certain teams know you shouldn't be drafting a running back in the top 10 picks. Certain teams know you shouldn't be investing early-round draft capital in the run game, period. That you should be investing in throwing the ball more successfully and stopping your opponent from throwing the ball efficiently. And those teams that understand the area of the game where you need to focus and how to measure player quality using advanced metrics and analytics, they continue to build a lead on the rest of the league That is being left behind. And so you see this polarization around the league, and that is as far away from parity as we've ever seen. And the difference between those that focus on the right details and those that don't was as striking this year as I've ever seen it. Look at the 49ers. Look at what John Lynch is doing. If it's not a layup pick like Nick Bosa, he's face planning. Like each and every time, John Lynch has an opportunity to boost the overall talent profile of the San Francisco 49ers, and every time he's given that opportunity, he fails! He fails to take the best player available at the most important positions on the roster. Time and time again, we saw John Lynch and his contemporaries, the film grinder general managers, who do not follow an evidence-based process, reach for the wrong players at the wrong positions time and time again and The same teams continue to benefit from the backward thinking of the lower tier teams. So picks are being funneled to the Patriots and the Colts and the Eagles and now the Dolphins. The smart teams continue to accrue value at the expense of the ignorant franchises. But they all have different ways of doing it, which is interesting to me. You have some teams that just reflex response, trade down, trade down, trade down. And that's a way to do it. The Dolphins the Colts, they follow a rule of thumb that you just always trade down when given the opportunity and you bank picks in the future and you continue to build a war chest of assets and it's that golden loom of value that we talk about. That's a way to go. Howie Roseman is savvy, but he doesn't have a strict set of principles and guidelines that defines how he operates. So he will trade up and we saw when the Eagles traded up one pick ahead of the Texans to get Andre Dillard, that Howie Roseman is a killer. That showed that Howie Roseman is a cool, calculating killer at general manager. Because now the Eagles have one of the best offensive linemen who is available in the second half of the first round. And you saw a handful of instances where the Eagles are trading up to get players at incredible value in certain rounds. But more often than not, you will notice... Of course, they're trading down because that's where you can accumulate value now and in the future. The other area where you can see, where you can differentiate the backward franchises from the forward-thinking franchises is the types of players that they select. If a team has a type, like for example, the San Francisco 49ers, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to John Lynch, but I think it's clear that he is the worst general manager in the league and there's an easy test for that. Who took a punter the highest? It's John Lynch. You can't afford to punt draft capital in the fourth round. You just can't do it. While other teams are improving their talent profile in the fourth round, you're diminishing it by drafting a punter. So a bad job by John Lynch, but also a bad job by John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan by emphasizing scheme over talent. That's the other thing that the backwards franchises do. They set the scheme, and then they go shopping for groceries to stock the shelves of a particular scheme, and that's wrong-headed. Rather, if you have a more independent thinking front office, they can go out and just get the best talent and also accumulate assets in the future, and then the coach's job is to come in and get the most out of those players by implementing a scheme that maximizes their ability. The teams that are doing that are making the playoffs year after year after year, and the teams that are trying to fit talent into a set static scheme continue to miss the playoffs year after year after year after year. Sure, there's going to be an outlier, the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of those backward thinking franchises, and they almost made the Super Bowl a couple years ago, so it's possible. Outlier seasons happen, but the teams that are consistently making the playoffs have this team building and talent acquisition methodology that has been proven to work time and time again. And in the draft, you can see a window into the thought process of the general manager where you just know the Colts and Chris Ballard are focused on the right details. And you know that whoever's running the lions and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are focused on the wrong details because they continue to invest in the running game early at the expense of the passing game, which is a mistake. And it's illustrated best with the wide receiver cores. You look at the wide receiver core in San Francisco. It's populated exclusively with these, these super versatile flanker prototypes where the 49ers draft Dante Pettis in the second round last year reached for him, took him 20 slots too early at least, and then they follow that up by reaching for Debo Samuel even earlier this year. And what is Debo Samuel other than just a better version of dante pettis he's better in every way than dante pettis he's bigger he's more explosive he's more versatile so what are they doing they're accumulating redundant assets because they fit a particular body type athleticism profile and skill set and that's not the way to win in the nfl where you contrast that with what chris ballard is doing in indianapolis where he is building a passing game of specialists where you have devin funchess the signature physical outside possession receiver. You have T.Y. Hilton, the ultimate field stretcher. And now they go out and draft Paris Campbell to give you that speed and quickness underneath, as well as deep. I think Paris Campbell can succeed in all quadrants of the football field. But at Ohio State, you saw Paris Campbell dominating close to the line of scrimmage. And then you have Eric Ebron running up the seam. They're beating you on every patch of grass in Indianapolis. And the coaching staff in Indianapolis is tasked with calling plays that get the most out of that talent configuration and having a lot of fun doing it. That's a fun wide receiver core to scheme for. In contrast, that was San Francisco where it's just a bunch of flankers. That's not as fun to scheme for. And it's a lot easier to scheme against. And you have another version of this happening in Seattle where Seattle goes out and drafts The two players with the highest Spark X scores on playerprofiler.com. I mean, on schedule. I tweeted 90 seconds before the pick came in that DK Metcalf fits exactly what the Seattle Seahawks are all about. And then they went out and drafted DK Metcalf. And then they followed that up, drafting Gary Jennings in the fourth round, who has the second highest Spark X score. So they also have a type. It just so happens that with Jennings and Metcalf and Lockett, they happen to have a diverse skill set more like Indianapolis than San Francisco. So, Nate, did you enjoy Seattle's approach to the NFL draft?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, my my thing is, I was I was hoping they were going to get Nikhil Harry, and I watched them pass on him on you know two or three different occasions there in the first round. And as upset as I was about that, you look back in hindsight, they started with four picks when the draft started. They ended with eleven selections at the end, and they waited long enough that DK Metcalf became
1: an unbelievable value at the end of the second round. I believe he was a value as well. He should not have fallen that far. We had DK Metcalf posted up as our number four rookie receiver for dynasty leagues.
0: And I want to bring this up because after DK got drafted, I went and reached out to somebody that I've met on Twitter that we, we follow each other back and forth. His name is Kurt Hester. He's one of the top strength and conditioning coaches in the country. Um, and I asked him, he's, he's the head at Louisiana tech right now. And I asked him about DK Metcalf and this idea that they want to get him into yoga because they believe that his lateral agility and stuff can be, uh, th- these issues can be fixed with yoga. I asked him this question and this was his response because I actually think that this is important because we're going to continue to, to beat this drum with DK Metcalf. And this is what, more- let me guess, let me guess. His response was laughing, crying emojis. This is, this is one, of the, one of the best guys in the country. Here was, his, here was what he said. Laughing, crying emojis. No, he goes, some of the stiffest athletes I have ever worked with were explosive linearly and laterally, and you never want to take away that springy stiffness. The only thing yoga would do is drop his center of gravity somewhat. Typically, being able to accelerate and decelerate quickly is a function of eccentric strength. He is only strong in concentric movements. So... I asked him, then, can, can they fix it? Is there a way to do it? And he said, I think if they work on his eccentric and isometric strength in different planes and vectors in a few months, he can correct it. So this is a guy that's dealt with this in the past. Now, I know that people are drilling DK, but again, this is one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the country. Direct question. That's his response.
1: He also has all the physiological
0: mumbo jumbo down. So, so he, he's done this, and this is a guy that was an advisor for Alabama, Florida State, all these top schools when he was doing strength and conditioning. Why isn't he at one of those top schools, Nate? Because I think he lives local to Louisiana Tech. So, that I mean, this is, this is where he's been. And, I mean, he, he makes good money there. I don't know. I don't know what his plan is. The point is this is, this is, a, this is a guy that does this all the time, and, and that was his take on it. So yoga may not be the answer, but he believes it's solvable. So back to the point. Yoga can only help. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, that was his take on it. And I believe it can help, too, with the flexibility. Who knows? Maybe that's something he's never worked on. The point is, if that's something that can can be altered in a sense, that's just such a bonus to DK Metcalf because the, the things that were working against him were injury history, lack of production, and people perceiving sort of that <laughs> stiffness.
1: Whenever you just drop that lack of production grenade in the middle, it's just. There's so much collateral damage. It's such reality though. It is reality, but the thing
0: is his his upside and abilities are so immense that again going back to the pick where he was taken it's it was it was such a value there.
1: Every team needs an elite decoy Nate
0: Oh, here we go. And Gary Jennings, I mean, same, Jesus Christ, same, I mean, same story here, same story. This is a guy that, that we believed was, was a better player than David Sills. People were kipping up David Sills for a lot of the touchdown work. He was a a player position convert. Didn't have a lot of experience. Gary Jennings had a great 2018. Doug Baldwin looks like he's not coming back. Gary Jennings has played the slot. This is a good fit for Seattle, and they got him in the fourth round, and he's got high-level athleticism. So, yeah, I I like what they did from an offensive standpoint because we've been saying give
1: Russell Wilson weapons, and they do it on all areas of the field now. Gary Jennings, 34% dominator rating, that's 63rd percentile, sharing a field with David Sills. Yes. With the 17.0 college yards per reception, that's in the 80th percentile. So he was getting downfield because it's explosive the 112.1 94th percentile speed score with a 78th percentile burst score. So Gary Jennings has an opportunity with this profile to outproduce DK Metcalf in year one. At 6'1", 215, he's more plug and play into an NFL offense than DK Metcalf. Now, if I were an NFL general manager, I would be building my scheme around DK Metcalf. But I don't trust Brian Schottenheimer to do that. And Because so many offensive coordinators are wired like Brian Schottenheimer, I look for the plug-and-play assets. This is why we liked Debo Samuel, because Debo Samuel is easy to incorporate into an NFL offense. You don't need to build a scheme around him. You don't need to build a scheme around Gary Jennings. You shouldn't be surprised when Gary Jennings outproduces DK Metcalf this year if Doug Baldwin retires. It's all predicated on Doug Baldwin retiring. Yeah. And the issue
0: with Seattle, we've gone over this a bunch of times and I continue to harp on it. These moves make me believe that Seattle takes a step forward with Russell Wilson again in terms of passing opportunity. There's no way he's going to be at four hundred and twenty seven attempts again in his career. I believe that this is the year that we get back up over five hundred. And and that's that's great for everybody. That's over 30 attempts a game. That's 32 attempts a game. Russell Wilson's arm talent is incredible. He's efficient. He's low risk. Now you're giving him
1: all these types of weapons all over the field. This could be a. they are giving him money and weapons, Nate. How does that not translate into more attempts? How, 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 how? O-line's better. Run game's better. Receiving core, albeit losing Doug Baldwin is a massive loss with his rapport with Russell Wilson. That may have been part of the contract negotiation process that they would build around him in good faith. And they're doing exactly that. They're living up to their word, Nate. That's what it looks like is happening. And and
0: don't don't forget that they also, you know, at the end in the seventh round, I believe they made a trade with the Jaguars to go get John Arsua, who was playing at Hawaii. And, and this is another guy that's got a track record.
1: No, I'm just saying. This is this
0: is good. This is good depth at the position. Oh,
1: come on. Come on. Don't give up on him. This is a punt and kick returner. Do not paint the John Ursua pick as an investment in Russell Wilson. Get out of here. But you can point to the Phil Haynes pick, the guard from Wake Forest in the fourth round. That's continuing to invest in protecting Russell Wilson. And that's what you want to see, man. We need four Ursua's out there, is what we need, man. When you look at DK Metcalf, we had him ranked number four on our rankings, and I like the landing spot for him. It could have been a lot worse. He could have gone to Tennessee, where his teammate went. Yuck. He went to Seattle, a team that needed a big physical X receiver with downfield playmaking ability more than any other team in the league. It's the perfect fit. When was the last time Seattle had a wide receiver on the roster taller than 6'1"? Sydney Rice, I mean the guy that really stuck around. The Seattle Seahawks have not had a prototypical X receiver since Sidney Rice. It's just been Russell Wilson and a bunch of Smurfs, Doug Baldwin's and Tyler Lockett's and Paul Richardson's. For many years, the Seattle Seahawks had a type. It was the Paul Richardson type, and now they're changing their type, thank God, because it fits a need. It's the perfect fit. And because DK Metcalf is going to a low-volume offense where he fits perfectly. I believe it's a push. You would prefer him go to a higher-volume offense, like, say, Pittsburgh. That didn't happen. Instead, he goes to Seattle where he's a more perfect fit. So I'm not moving him up or down. I'm keeping him right where he belongs in the rankings in that 4 five, six slot. you got to go to the rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player-rankings early this week. To see where we ultimately slot in DK Metcalf. But him getting drafted at the end of the second round. To the Seattle Seahawks was a positive. Absolutely. He could have fallen into the third round. He was a pick away Nate. He was a pick away and he knew it. He knew his stock was in free fall. That's why when John Schneider called him. He couldn't speak through the tears. They had to put Pete Carroll on the line. And Pete Carroll put his grandfather hat on which is not hard for him because his face looks like one of those rubber president's masks that the bank robbers wear jesus man so pete point break carol talked dk off the ledge so emotionally he couldn't speak he couldn't communicate hello dk Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with, with the Seattle oh, Seahawks. Man. Hey, yes, man, get fired up. We're gonna make you a Seahawk right here, okay? <laughs> yeah, all right, bud? All right, <laughs> man. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Thank yeah. Here's Coach Carroll. Yes, sir. Thank
0: you. DK. <laughs> hey, DK. This is Coach Pete Carroll. How you doing? I'm doing really good. <laughs> <I'm> doing... <laughs>
1: Okay, we'll both cry together then, all right? <laughs> Why y'all wait this long, man? I know, I, know, I know you had to wait a little bit, but that doesn't matter because you're to Seattle, man. You're going to <laughs> play
0: with the Seahawks, and you're going to catch fo- footballs from Russell Wilson. So get yeah, your ass but, ready to you. go, big fella. We are fired up for it, and uh, the staff is excited. Thank Listen you. to these guys. Here's your staff. How
1: about
0: that? Thank you. Thank you. this is awesome, man. We're so excited about this. I
1: can't even tell you. Like, he was essentially hyperventilating on the phone. Pete Carroll calmed him down. He turned the receiver to the entire room of front office execs. They applauded him. And finally, he was able to catch his breath. And I liked Pete Carroll before that. And I liked him even more after watching how he interacted with his player, In a very human way. So often these coaches do not act like human beings. And seeing a coach act like a human being was a feel-good moment.
0: Have you seen the video when DK Metcalf comes in to meet the Seahawks during the combine? So they convinced DK Metcalf to take his shirt off and come in to meet John Schneider and Pete Carroll. He comes in, shirt off. Obviously the guy's jacked. You see Pete Carroll banging his hand on the table. And now DK is kind of high-fiving the other scouts as he's coming in and they're chatting. And in the interview Pete Carroll said since DK came in with his shirt off it pissed him off so much he took his own shirt off. So Pete Carroll takes his shirt off and he's standing there staring at DK Metcalf with his shirt off. It's pretty good, man. I mean, yeah, that people love the the players love Pete Carroll, man. That is a players coach. And that's why there's, you know, that's why that team has a lot of unity, you know, that, that they've been a successful organization and it starts at the top of the coach. But, yeah, you're right. You know, DK Metcalf seems like a good like a good player and he's going to be a good fit for Seattle. I love where they got him, man. I can't I can't say that enough.
1: Whether he ever commands big volume in the league is yet to be determined. But I think he has at least one Rob Moore one hit wonder season in him. He has at least one 1,300 yard season with double digit touchdowns in him. I don't know when it's going to be, but he'll deliver that, and then you won't hear from him again. Oh, Jesus. Come on. (laughs) Let's, 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 good God. Let's move forward. Let's move forward. He could be incredible. Who were the high risers from this weekend? First off, let's, let's acknowledge the elephant in the room. Let's talk about
0: Paris Campbell for a second. Big time riser. Oh, yes. Yes, that's the riser, man. Is that not the best landing spot? I mean, of all landing spots, is that not the best?
1: You could argue Kansas City because Tyreek Hill is destined to be flushed out of the league based on his behavior away from football. I had the landing zones ranked San Francisco number one, Kansas City number two, Indianapolis number three, only because Indianapolis went out and acquired Devin Funchess, so Whoever goes to Indianapolis will be the number three receiver in year one, if not number four, because remember, the Colts tendered Chester Rogers at the second round level. Don't forget. So I preferred the 49ers and the Chiefs, but it was a top three landing spot. And as I mentioned earlier, the perfect landing spot for Paris Campbell's special set of skills. It was a great talent configuration fit, just like DK Metcalf going to Seattle. Love it. And for that reason... Paris Campbell has to be a top 3 receiver in dynasty rookie drafts. If you don't have Paris Campbell in your top 3 in rookie drafts, you're doing it wrong. Here's a really cool
0: caveat to the Paris Campbell thing. So after the pick, there was an interview with Chad Henry. He's the uh, Midwest area scout for the Colts and he dropped a couple nuggets on the pick. Um they talked about how they saw the improvements in his route running and they're looking forward to working with him, but I love this right here. They said we talk about the opportunity for explosive plays in our offense, and he's a guy that we can see doing that. I mean, we know that T.Y. Hilton already does that, but it, it you know it makes you really understand that they're really going to focus and get Paris Campbell the ball because this is a guy that's still going to develop as a route runner. He can do things. He wasn't necessarily asked to do them at Ohio State, but this is a guy with run after the catch like we haven't seen in this league very often. And going to the Colts, a team that that ends up every year very high in pass attempts, is going to get a second-round player like Paris Campbell the ball, and they're going to get it in his hands, and T.Y. is going to continue to open up that field for him. And just like you talked about earlier, all areas of the field are going to have guys running routes. You're going to have difficulties covering players all over the place, and that could open up things for Paris Campbell everywhere.
1: I love Paris Campbell so much. I want him on my teams. But the film grinders don't like him. They don't like his average depth of target, Nate. They think he doesn't know how to run routes deep. And I remember hearing that about another Ohio State Speedster who was viewed as a satellite back coming out of college and quickly became a deep threat in the NFL. His name is
0: Curtis Samuel.
1: <laughs> and Paris Campbell is so much better than Curtis Samuel. I can't wait for Paris Campbell to show off his complete route inventory at the next level and prove all of these nonsense-wielding film grinders wrong. Yep. Some of these analysts had Paris Campbell ranked outside the top 15, and you know who I'm talking about.
0: There are analysts out there that people respect that had Paris Campbell going round six or later in the NFL draft.
1: Fools. What a miss. Fools. What a miss. Fools. Who was high on Paris Campbell consistently throughout this offseason? Guys right here. We were as high on Paris Campbell as you can be. We had him in the top three before the draft, and he's very much inside the top three after the draft. Couldn't have gone to a better spot. Love it. Love it. But we have to acknowledge that Debo Samuel was the big winner. He is the high riser. R.I.P. Dante Pettis. I'm seeing analysts I respect continue to insist that Dante Pettis is a breakout candidate this year, and I'm not so sure. Certainly... With Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, you can have two receivers ascend together in that offense. So we could see both Dante Pettis and Debo Samuel ascend. But in Dynasty, when you have these players locked up for life, you just want the best talent tethered to Jimmy Garoppolo. And that is Debo Samuel. It is not Dante Pettis. So I believe Dante Pettis was one of the big losers from this draft because of the skill set redundancy. He is going to find himself on the outside looking in when they're drawing up plays for their go-to receiver who will ultimately be Debo Samuel because Debo Samuel is more athletic. He's shiftier. He's more explosive. He is a better version of Dante Pettis in every way.
0: And, you know, obviously San Francisco took him in this position and you've used the word before versatility, great kick returner that that's an instant upgrade for them. Not that Dante Pettis is a bad kick returner because he did it in college as well, but that's one area of Debo Samuel's game. That's really good is his kick return ability, but his, that versatility, he's been a rusher. He's been a receiver. He plays on all three levels of the field. And clearly based on his draft position here, San Francisco recognized this and,
1: So he has the draft capital in the landing zone that you wanted. He has to be the highest riser because of that.
0: Well, And I was going to say it's unfortunate that it is a redundancy because had these two players both come out in the same draft class and been sitting side-by-side with San Francisco on the clock, they would have gone Debo Samuel. Oh, it's an easy decision for Debo Samuel. Oh, absolutely. So it's kind of like redemption in this sense. And I don't think Dante Pettis is a bad player at all. I just I agree with you that Samuel is a great player.
1: No, in fact, Dante Pettis personifies our biggest lesson learned from last year in that we were not accounting for the versatility as much. Yes. The big takeaway from previous years, and that you saw us implement in the rookie rankings this year, was an emphasis on the all-purpose game, where you look at a player's rushing production and their special teams production, and that can either boost them or suppress them. It's one of the reasons why we weren't higher on Hakeem Butler, because he's a one-dimensional player. Debo Samuel... Is a multifaceted player. And for that reason, he's a better player overall. And the NFL appreciates that. You see him going to a team where he can command the most volume right away. And the fact that he is a senior means that he is already a polished route runner. And he is the plug-and-play receiver in this draft. I believe that he will command more volume early in his career than even Nikhil Harry. And for that reason, I think you have him in the top three as well. I think that Nikhil Harry is in the number one chair in the wide receiver rankings because he's the complete package, the second wide receiver drafted in the first round, and checks all the boxes. Even though he's now tethered to a 41-year-old quarterback, that's not ideal. Again, you would have preferred Harry go to Indianapolis, go to Kansas City, go to San Francisco. He didn't. It was a good but not great landing spot, but because he's a bust-proof talent, you have to post him up in that number one spot in the rankings. And then after that, I think you go with Paris Campbell based on the high ceiling in a situation that can raise his floor. And then Debo Samuel right after that You know, follows him very closely because he has the highest floor of all the receivers as a featured player in that offense on day one. Who else is rising for you?
0: Uh, in that group, man, there there are a lot of names. I mean, I think that A.J. Brown
1: was a push. No, 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 no. no. First of all, I didn't ask you for who your push was. I asked you for your highest riser. There we go. And you give me A.J. Brown, who is not a riser. He is a faller. Are you kidding me that it's a push?
0: How is he a faller? Are you kidding he's
1: a me? Faller. In fiction, you couldn't drop a
0: worse landing spot, Nate. I don't think A.J. Brown is a faller. And you just mentioned his name in your top five. So I don't think he he's is in the top
1: fall. five because he's one of the two bust proof prospects. He's unbreakable. That should be all the more. Re- That's what makes him a push.
0: He didn't land at a great spot, but he's a great player. No, he's
1: falling. He's not the number two wide receiver on the board any longer. Absolutely not. He didn't even go before Debo Samuel, so I, I, I mean, there's no argument here. and I, You cannot justify drafting A.J. Brown ahead of Debo Samuel at this point. You can't do it because Debo has everything going in his favor now. All the external forces are now working in Debo's favor. You can't do it. I'm not calling A.J. Brown a faller. That's ridiculous. He is a faller because... He's not a faller. Paris Campbell and Debo Samuel have displaced him. We we talked about this before when we when we talk about players. But I'll tell you who did not displace him. His Mississippi teammate did not displace him. I still have AJ Brown ahead of DK Metcalf.
0: Okay, here's the thing. He didn't fall as much as other players around him rose. He didn't he didn't fall because he did anything wrong. I don't disagree. He went to
1: Tennessee. This is not a good landing position. Tennessee already has Corey Davis in that X receiver role. They signed a slot specialist in the offseason in Adam Humphreys, and it's one of the lowest-volume offenses in the league with a questionable quarterback situation. I love Marcus Mariota. I'm a Marcus Mariota truther. I will be overweight on this Tennessee passing game more than anyone else in both seasonal and dynasty leagues this season, and yet I am still a realist. I do not know what Marcus Mariota is and what he will become, But I do know that this is a run-focused team where Derrick Henry is the focal point. And because A.J. Brown went to a team with an uncertain quarterback situation where the running back is the focal point, he has to fall in the rankings. He has to. Wait a minute. It's just rational. If he doesn't, then you're practicing cognitive dissonance.
0: Wait a minute. How do we not know? How do we not know what the quarterback situation is in Tennessee? But we know in 26 career games what the situation is in San
1: Francisco. Just out of curiosity. Oh, we know that Jimmy Garoppolo is the truth. Jimmy Garoppolo is a bona fide franchise quarterback. Marcus Mariota is not that. If you have Jimmy Garoppolo ranked below Marcus Mariota in your dynasty quarterback rankings, you're doing it wrong.
0: So we need to just define the phrase falling because that's such a trigger word for me. He went from two to four, Nate. Okay, yes, that's what happened. Was- that's a big move. That's- Going from two to four is as big as falling from eight to 15. It's not a big move. Yeah, he
1: just... He- it's big. You go from mid-first round to late-first round in Dynasty rookie drafts. That's where you can get A.J. Brown. And I'll be pushing the button on A.J. Brown. All these leagues where I'm in the playoffs and I have a late first... I'm happy to get A.J. Brown there. I'm psyched about this landing spot for that reason, because he becomes more attainable. But he is falling. You have to admit he's falling. If you don't admit he's falling, you're a disingenuous fraudster. How dare you? You're Matt Waldman. How dare— Oh, and now you're the one
0: detracting the show now. Now you're doing it, not me. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, he might have slipped a little bit. I'm
1: not going to use the word fall. He slipped. So now you're admitting that the wide receiver that you wanted to talk about in the risers column actually slipped. I just didn't want to talk about A.J. Brown, so I wanted to get to it and get done with it and say, I feel like it's a push, but you're right. Yes, if you look at where he was. So let me get this straight. Not only are you ignoring the show sheet, you are bringing up players out of order and out of context just to get them out of the way of your own mind. We had a show sheet this week.
0: We had one. So let's move on. Risers. An actual riser. Do you have one? Yes or no? I have a right, I just want to say, just let me say it, I want to say it. Yes, JJ Arcega-Whiteside to me is a riser, and there's a lot of reasons why. Please God, let me throw these out here. Here we go. Clear my throat. First off, six wide receiver off the board, second round. Eagles were number seven in the league in 2018 in pass attempts. Alshon Jeffrey will be 30 years old and has missed multiple games over the last four years and also hasn't had over 65 catches in five years. Deshaun Jackson is 32. Golden Tate is gone. Aguilar was rumored to be on the trade block. Carson Wentz is healthy. And they added first-round offensive lineman, as you've said, Andre Dillard. That is why I'm a fan.
1: I love players heading to Philadelphia. I have Miles Sanders posted up in the number one position overall, across all positions. He's the best. He's your 101. I also love Jaws, but I prefer to trade for Jaws during the season when he's not starting than draft him in rookie drafts because this year they will be deploying Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, Nelson Aguilar, and Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard in that passing game with a lot of 12 personnel to support Goddard and Ertz on the field together. That crowds out opportunities in 2019 from J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I think that he is a push because he won't get the year one opportunity that you'd like to see, but it's one of the best long-term landing spots for any wide receiver.
0: Okay, and and so to your point, remember, we've seen it start to happen more and more. We've we've seen a little bit of smoke. What are the odds that Aguilar gets traded at the deadline. Deshaun Jackson moves into the slot, and that's the opportunity when we see our Segal-White side move in. I agree with you. I would totally rather acquire him in season when he's not getting a lot of opportunity, but I think after the deadline there could be a chance where we start to see more our Segal-White
1: side. He's not a plug-and-play wide receiver either. He's not a Gary Jennings, Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown flanker prototype. He's going to take time, seasoning, to get fully ramped up to beat NFL corners consistently. For that reason, I would prefer to acquire him in season at a discount. That is a fair, reasonable, measured analysis of J.J. Arcega Whiteside, who I liked better than Hakeem Butler coming in. And we will certainly have him ranked well ahead of Hakeem Butler now that he was drafted two rounds before Butler.
0: I, I don't know that you're giving him enough credit for what he's capable of at this point. I mean, it, this, he's, he's a good player, and he was a massive part of this offense at Stanford all year long. A big part of this offense. He
1: needs to be paired with a DGAF quarterback who does not mind throwing the ball into traffic and throwing wide receivers open and throwing jump balls. Carson Wentz fits the profile of a quarterback that can help J.J. Arcega-Whiteside thrive. I agree. It's a good landing spot for him. I just have a very high bar for the types of wide receivers I'm willing to invest in in the first round. And I believe he's going to go in the late first now that he's on Philadelphia. In the mid-second, I'm much more comfortable pushing the button on a wide receiver, knowing I'll have to wait a year.
0: I don't think there's any chance our Sega Whiteside's making it to the middle of the second round. After day two of the draft, no, there's no chance. I mean, to your point, I, I'm with you. I don't think that he gets a big role year one. I do think that there's work to be done looking at his profile. I, I'm with you. I, I just think that it's a it's a fantastic spot, as you've said. Can't you
1: just say agree? Can't
0: you just say I'm with you? I don't want to say I agree.
1: It doesn't feel good to say I agree. Why do you always have to tack on this Yeah, but at the end of every statement, just agree so we can move on. I don't want to agree. I want to be my own person. Why are you so difficult? You're like my
0: mom when I went clothes shopping back in junior high school. Just let me pick what I want to wear. I want to wear
1: what I want to wear. Just please pay for it because I don't have any money. Jesus. (laughs) Yes. I want to say what I want to say on the podcast that you're producing. (laughs) Thank you. Yes whole lot of edits, which I won't be there for.
0: Thank you. (laughs) God. All right.
1: We have to talk about David Montgomery, unfortunately. I mean, I don't like David Montgomery. I don't like plotting running backs. But when plotting running backs get drafted in the third round and go to teams with thin running back depth charts and teams with improving offensive efficiency and deliver a lot of red zone opportunities for their running backs, like we've seen with... Jordan Howard you have to like David Montgomery and he was the most difficult player for me to rank overall when you look at the running back position it's easy he's the number three running back in dynasty rookie drafts now that's the easy part the question is all else being equal where would you draft him and for the reasons I've alluded to primarily the concerns I have about wide receivers not retaining their value through their rookie year I would push the button on David Montgomery at 103. My top three players for Dynasty rookie drafts are Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs, and David Montgomery. And so for that reason, he has risen even more than Debo Samuel. But they are the two high-risers in this draft class. Man, that's uh, that's putting your eggs in one basket. I, I don't know, man. It's not putting my eggs in one basket. It's ensuring that my asset accrues value that my basket grows over the course of a season and then I'm free to trade David Montgomery at a premium next off season. whereas if I had invested in J.J. Arcega-Whiteside I'd be underwater.
0: It's like buying a lemon. Yeah, sure. That looks like a sweet Ferrari until you're driving it down the freeway and the the fucking mirror falls off and the bumper falls off and the gas cap doesn't screw in and all of a sudden you're like, oh, that was 60 grand and the windshield's got a crack and it's got a hand crank window on the side and the clutch is going bad and the radio doesn't work. Yeah, sure. I got it. I I get the
1: point. That's not a Ferrari that you're describing. You're describing a Rolls-Royce Freeman. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so
0: good. <laughs> Bringing it back. I, I think you and I are, are in a similar situation here. If if you're buying into the belief that David Montgomery is the tackle breaker and this, you know, this, this shifty, slippery player, despite not having the athletic measurables.
1: And getting caught from behind every time he reaches the second level. We talked about Jeremy McNichols running straight to safeties and defensive backs in the second level. Well, David Montgomery simply gets caught from behind. He doesn't know who's going to tackle him. He just knows eventually he's not gonna make it. So
0: in that in that sense, if if he is Kareem
1: Hunt. He's a plotter. He's not Kareem Hunt. That's what I'm saying. So look Stop I'm you... chasing outliers. I'm not. I'm trying to That's the ultimate confirmation bias where you scroll through the player profiler database and the data analysis tool looking for a successful running back with a below average forty time. Yes, it's possible that Josh Jacobs is Arian Foster. Yes, it's possible. And yes, it's possible that David Montgomery is a lesser version of Le'Veon Bell. It's possible. It's unlikely, though. So stop talking to me about things that are unlikely. I don't want to even talk about it. I don't even like David Montgomery.
0: I tried to say that from the beginning. All I'm saying is if you think that he's going to be good, then you would take him at 103. But we both agree that we don't really like him.
1: I have to pick him at 103 because he's going to be the primary running back for the Chicago Bears. And unless a Phillip Lindsay emerges completely out of nowhere, which is possible, it's possible. We saw in Seattle last year, Chris Carson, Chris Carson stole Rashad Penny's lunch and ate it in front of him. It's happened. It's possible. But I prefer the chances of David Montgomery succeeding as the primary back then drafting a wide receiver and hoping that he plays a significant role in year one for an efficient offense. My probabilities are improved when I put the chip on the David Montgomery square.
0: Yeah, he's going to eat that chip. Here's the thing here's my take on it. I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Look, first off, Tariq Cohen's going to put a squeeze on things because he is an explosive player. Montgomery is not explosive.
1: The other thing, and don't sleep on him, and I know what you're going to say. Jordan Howard had over 1,400 yards in that offense before Mitchell Trubisky arrived. But hold on. Hold on.
0: Mike Davis is also another player with a lot of pop. I'm just saying he's a guy that could get on the field, do work. That Chicago's going to like him. We've seen him play in Seattle. We've seen him bring some
1: bursts that they didn't have going. He's very similar to David Montgomery. Mike Davis and David Montgomery are essentially redundant assets. This is how you know that the Chicago Bears focus on the wrong details, that their process is wrong-headed in Chicago, and if you're a Chicago Bears fan, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break this news to you that your franchise drafted Riley Ridley and drafted David Montgomery rounds before they deserved to be drafted, that your franchise is not focused on the right details and that this franchise is destined to flame out and bottom out again. It's going to happen sooner than you think, Chicago Bears fans.
0: Hey, you think you can uh, dial up a fart right now? You're making your own sound effects now. You're doing your own Foley. It's impressive. Yeah, these are manual butt sound effects.
1: That's <laughs> good. Yeah, you got, you own your own copyrights. I don't like David Montgomery, but I'm drafting him. But I just did make my first selection in a dynasty rookie draft. And I was in the 109 slot, staring down the barrel of David Montgomery. I saw him coming. It was like a freight train. I was like, I'm going to see David Montgomery available in the player pool, and I'm going to have to pick him for all the reasons we outlined. And I realized that I didn't want to do that. I don't want to select Mike Davis with draft capital. I don't want to do it. And I don't want to sit back and just hope that David Montgomery can outplay Mike Davis in training camp, not knowing which way it's going to land. I don't want those problems in my life. I don't want to draft a running back that gets Rashad pennied. And so I did the thing that I never do, because normally I would trade down. But there was another player still in the player pool, and the 106 was on the clock. And so the podfather traded up. Oh. Oh. Swapped a 2022nd rounder for a 2024th rounder to move up three spots. Not normally a smart move, but I believe a Howie Roseman-like diabolical plot. I traded up to get Miles Sanders. Oh, there we go. (laughs) On a win-now team, Miles Sanders may put me over the top. The theatrics. It's good. The best running back in the class. Thank you very much. Heading to a rich offense that is only getting richer by improving their offensive line.
0: Right. And and, and the Eagles did, you know, they, they did the right thing in the first round. Come back in the second round in a sensible spot and grab Miles Sanders. You know, that not the Oakland move for the first round. I mean, they, they had multiple picks in the first round, but... I love Miles Sanders, man. This was a guy that the combine obviously really helped out. He made it to the second receiver
1: off the board, the NFL draft. But, Nate, we were right again with Miles Sanders. Time after time after time, especially in the second round, we were proven right. We had Miles Sanders ranked number one, and he's the second running back taken, the most talented of the bunch, and he goes to one of the best offenses with a completely wide open backfield. Now, the reason why Miles Sanders is going to slip a couple slots is all the presence of Jordan Howard. The presence of Jordan Howard. The Eagles gave up a late pick for Jordan Howard. It was a throwaway pick to acquire Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard is now a camp body. There's yeah. no difference between Jordan Howard and Carlos Hyde at this point in their respective careers, and they just happen to be comparable to each other on playerprofiler.com. These are plotting powerbacks that are not effective in the passing game. That is not a threat to Miles Sanders but enjoy acquiring Miles Sanders in the middle of the first round because of the presence of the meat shield Jordan Howard the ultimate ADP meat shield <laughs> there will
0: be a small hurdle in the beginning but i agree with you the, the the draft capital what he he he's done it on the nfl field obviously jordan howard can play in the league but a guy like miles sanders is is not someone to 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 play with miles sanders is going to come in there man and he's going to outright take that job at some point, they invested the capital. I
1: think he he's, seizes it in training camp.
0: Yeah, he's twice the, he's twice the athlete. He's got the receiving
1: ability. He's a smooth runner. I, uh, they're gonna love him. So yeah, he's that confluence of forces where the tape grinders love the smoothness. They love the hip fluidity, and the metrics guys love the athleticism and love the efficiency in an otherwise constipated offense at Penn State. Twenty six receptions in a Marty McSorley offense. Get the fuck out of here. That's like forty receptions in the Big Twelve. And what what a funny thing though too that, that we we
0: will blast running backs all day? for lack of production, and and we, we, do, we do rationalize away his freshman and sophomore years for obvious reasons, because he came out as a junior and did what he needed to do in his first real opportunity post-Saquon Barkley, and then you pair that with that athleticism. Now, pair that with that draft capital and pair that with the team that he went to. You're just
1: stacking positive attribute after positive attribute. What a spot. You could do the same with Andy Isabella and just stack positive attribute on top of positive attribute. And Andy Isabella is my favorite meat shield player in the NFL at this point because not only is he himself excellent, he proved us right being drafted in day two to what will ultimately be an ascending offense where targets are being vacated now and will be vacated in the future when Larry Fitzgerald retires. And he and the presence of Andy Isabella also helps to suppress Christian Kirk's ADP. Yep. So Andy Isabella helps fantasy gamers that pay attention to the right details on many levels.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean people should be a big fan of Andy Isabella. He he's going to be a stretch receiver for this offense. They went out, they added a, a ton a ton of weapons to this team. I mean you go you go and grab your quarterback, you go and grab an extra receiver. Uh, Christian Kirk is a player that we've already loved. I mean he he is the staple of example when you look at a guy who's college production was incredible I mean he he as a freshman was was dominating and we should still be big fans I am a big fan of his
1: he's even more attainable because not only is Andy Isabella now suppressing his ADP film grinders are not going to give up on this Hakeem Butler dream no they're not they had him ranked number one overall and Matt Waldman graded him out as his number one wide receiver prospect all. Of- in the history of wide receivers, Matt Waldman has never seen a more talented player than fourth-rounder Hakeem Butler. And for that reason, I believe that if you have not acquired a Christian Kirk yet, now is the time.
0: I don't want to shit all over Matt Waldman.
1: By the way, that's the preface that someone gives the moment before they shit all over someone.
0: I'm going to try to hold it. The thing is, for how much time someone spends doing this? You mean watching TV? Watching your television. Like to call a player the best one you've ever seen, and then they fall to the fourth round. What did you miss? How many times are you allowed to say, "Yeah, I just I missed it. I got to go back. I got to work on my process."
1: Do you think that's what he's gonna do? You think Matt Waldman is going to go to Twitter and say, "I have to work on my process. I'm shutting down the Matt Waldman rookie scouting portfolio, while we work on our process. We're gonna shut this down and go under the hood and fix the leaky valve and the warped crank." And we're gonna fire this back up in a week and it'll be fixed? Do you think he's gonna do that, or do you think he'll just keep motoring right along as if he was never this catastrophically wrong?
0: I think he's I think he's gonna go and, and say that he he goes, Hey guys, I just realized a bulb was burned out in my tube TV. I've been looking at it wrong all this time. I got a TV repair guy coming out and he fixed it. I just rewatched all the tape. I, I couldn't I, I realized what went wrong.
1: Going right back to watching TV, narrating back to us the sports that he's watching on his television
0: 80 inch tv 90 feet deep it's good tv to have
1: about to turn the channel to the iowa state cyclones game everybody i'm going to tell you about what i'm seeing oh uh, anyways
0: yeah it's a it's a good roster and i can't wait to see what kyler Murray's going to bring to it right i mean
1: look at akeem butler juggle this catch three or four times before he turns around runs to daylight for a touchdown because no safeties are near him that has to be the best wide receiver prospect i've ever seen
0: You think he's like, that That would be a bobble for most guys, but that's technique for him.
1: Yes, yes. Like the Dennis Rodman rebound. Cortland Sutton made that play. Matt Walden would be killing him. But because it was Hakeem Butler, oh, he loved it. (laughs) Okay. But Andy Isabella is now a late first, early second rounder where he would have been a mid to late second rounder before he was drafted by the Arizona Cardinals. And the fact that the Cardinals went out and also added Hakeem Butler was The dream scenario. So now Andy Isabella has the draft capital. He has the spread offense and the efficient college quarterback. He has all the hallmarks of a prolific offense are in place for him. But he is allowed to just continue to glide under the radar and in many cases outside the first round of rookie drafts. It's such a beautiful thing.
0: And, and let's also not forget this. If you weren't paying attention to the draft or you haven't looked at how it went down, Andy Isabella went a full two rounds before Hakeem Butler to the <laughs> same roster. Two rounds earlier. He also was drafted before
1: DK Metcalf. Oh,
0: you prick. You had to do that, huh? Had
1: to go there. Now it's not funny. I'm not going to laugh. If you're the Seattle Seahawks, from a tactical standpoint, Nate, you prefer Hakeem Butler Or Andy Isabella?
0: You know, I've seen Russell Wilson be incredibly efficient with diminutive wide receivers, so I would have taken Andy Isabella as well, and I think that they would have given the opportunity. Russell succeed with anybody, but if you give him talent, and I believe Isabella is a much more talented player than Hakeem Butler is, at this point, not saying Butler can't be something, but right now, for sure, without a doubt, Isabella is a much better player. Yeah, of course, Seattle would take Isabella because he's going to get open and Russell's going to find him.
1: What about Isabella or DK Metcalf?
0: Now, you know Seattle, they, they, were off their, they were off their game for a little bit. They've always been a spark analytics organization. They, they've been it for a long time. I felt like last year and maybe a little.
1: They emphasize athleticism in Seattle. They do.
0: And Isabella is a great athlete. I, I think that per the cost, if Isabella was sitting there and Metcalf was sitting there, I think they still go Metcalf
1: just based on the roster construction. I think that's right. I think that's right. I think it's the better skill set fit. But I also believe that Isabella is the perfect skill set fit in Arizona. Isabella can play inside and outside. He, like Debo Samuel, like Paris Campbell, I believe is very versatile. That you can put him in the slot. You can put him outside. You can ask him to stretch the field. You can ask him to run double moves. You can ask him to run underneath. And so for that reason, I think he's the perfect complement to a Christian Kirk. He eventually will allow Christian Kirk to move into the slot where he thrived at Texas A&M. And... I would love to see Isabella and Kirk working off one another with Hakeem Butler on the left side, out at X, operating as that elite decoy. I don't hate Hakeem Butler. We had Hakeem Butler ranked in our top 10, but we've always had Isabella ranked ahead of Hakeem Butler, and this NFL draft was hugely validating for us. It validated our process, Nate. Time and time again, this draft validated our process, but if I'm trying to optimize... The offense score the most points. I'm going to put Hakeem Butler out at X and I'm going to run Isabella and Kirk on the right side in the slot and flanker roles. And then I'm going to change it up by moving Isabella out wide and moving Hakeem Butler to flanker and having Hakeem Butler and Kirk work off of one another and feeding Hakeem Butler in the slot. So the beauty of what you're seeing in Arizona is it's very similar to what you have in Indianapolis, where you have these disparate skill sets that I think lock together very nicely and maximize the flexibility for Cliff Kingsbury and the the play calling.
0: Yeah, and Hakeem Butler is going to add a lot to this offense. I mean, he he may never be the player that people hoped he was, but in terms of opening things up for everybody else, this is still a a physically gifted big wide receiver that's going to force defenses
1: to play him accordingly. So it's going to be great for Isabella. We projected him to play a Josh Doxon role in the NFL, and that's not in a bad way. I think he can be a more physical version of Josh Doxon. Certainly, he's bigger than Josh Doxon, and I believe he wants the football more than Josh Doxon does. But that doesn't mean that Hakeem Butler will ever have a season in the NFL where he commands 100 targets. He may not. But in the process, he may also help his team, and the offense may be more efficient because of him, and that's a win. But Andy Isabella, with the Dominator rating and the speed, and the route inventory that he brings to the table, I want him on my fantasy team. I really do. If there is a T.Y. Hilton in this class, it is Andy Isabella.
0: I think the one point to take away from here is that Hakeem Butler is just not the wide receiver one.
1: Spoiler alert!
0: (laughs) And we should start a GoFundMe to get Matt Waldman a new TV.
1: Woof! You know, Sigmund Bloom disagrees with you, though. Sigmund Bloom writes on Twitter, Hakeem Butler to the cards in the 4th? preserves his ff value now i will remind you that hakeem butler was the 101 in the month of april in dlf mocks right dynasty league football mock drafts the first overall selection on average was hakeem butler and sigmund bloom claims that the cardinals drafting butler in the fourth preserves his valuation that is every kind of wrong and bloom goes on to say I expect he'll still be high on my post-draft rankings because, of course, what would football guys be without Take Lock? The Cards probably had him with a second-round grade regardless. Well, if they had a second-round grade, they would have drafted him in the second (laughs) round. (laughs) If they didn't, they drafted Isabella! I was there! It's impossible for a day-three pick to retain his value. Hakeem Butler is definitively the biggest faller, the stock market crash of this draft. That's beyond dispute.
0: That's at least a good use of the phrase faller. We've come a long way, Matt, since the beginning of the
1: show. But if you're more interested in caping up for your colleague than you are the truth, then you're prone to stooge analysis. And that's what that is, stooge analysis. Oh, he's going to retain his value. No, he's not. No, he's not. But the interesting thing about being the 401 is that the 401 has a special value. I talked to Josh Norris about this last year. Teams have all night to get on the phone and trade up to get the 401, Like we saw the year before when the Carolina Panthers drafted Ian Thomas, when teams keep that pick and do not trade down, it's an indicator that they loved the player they were getting. So the year prior, the Panthers loved getting Ian Thomas, and I do believe the Cardinals loved the opportunity to get Hakeem Butler in the fourth round. I would have! I don't even like Hakeem Butler, and I would have loved the opportunity to draft him in the fourth round. So the 401 is not an ordinary fourth-round pick. That is important to note. But regardless, Hakeem Butler is no longer a top-ten receiver in this class. Okay, maybe he stays inside the top ten, and he's ranked exactly (laughs) ten. There you go. It's fair. So Hakeem Butler is a big faller, but you could argue Kelvin Harmon further. I feel bad, man. I really feel bad about this. I feel responsible, man. Did the NFL teams listen to our podcast? Cause that was an awful interview. He shouldn't have said he didn't listen to game of Thrones. It's at its height right now.
0: Say you do watch it. Why would you say you don't? That's what did it. Yeah. That was tough to watch, man. I was, I was working a good part of Saturday, unfortunately. And I kept checking my phone, when is Kelvin Harmon going to go? When's he going to go? And then finally, finally round six. Oh, Jeez, what a, f- what a fall.
1: I still like the landing spot, though. Yeah, I do, too. If you're going to go anywhere that late, you might as well go to Washington. They do not have wide receivers with significant draft capital. They have Paul Richardson, who they signed away from Seattle, who's coming off another injury, and Mr. Irrelevant, Trey Quinn, to compete for targets with, along with, of course, the ultimate outside decoy in Josh Doxon. So there's not a lot of concern about target competition in Washington. And they need a player like Kelvin Harmon. They need a possession receiver on the outside with great hands that can bully defenders. I think that there's a chance he comes in and immediately starts outplaying Josh Doxon because Josh Doxon just doesn't want it. And Kelvin Harmon gets in there and is happy getting dirty, being physical, taking huge hits coming down with difficult catches, gains the trust of the quarterback, the respect of the coaching staff, and Josh Doxson just decides one day, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to compete with you. The job is yours. You can play X. It's a low volume role in that offense, the X receiver role, but it's hard to game out a better draft scenario for Kelvin Harmon once he fell into day three. Yeah, maybe Josh Doxson's going to be like, ah, just go back to
0: TCU and finish my communication degree. This guy's pretty good. And and we don't know. You know, Dwayne Haskins, new quarterback in Washington, we don't know how that rapport between receiver quarterback's going to be. Him and Kelvin Harmon could find sync because Kelvin Harmon and Ryan Finley, it was a great combination this year. I mean, we watched Kelvin Harmon get better and better over the past couple years, and, and there's a great chance that in Washington, just like you said, this is one of the best places he could have landed. Oh, yeah. The, the competition is nil currently there. It's injury riddled top to bottom between all the players that are on this roster. They've lost Alex Smith and you know, they didn't do a lot to to give him a whole lot of competition. You know, obviously they added Terry McLaurin in the third who has athleticism, another guy that didn't produce a ton in college, but I, I agree. I, I like this spot.
1: <clears throat> McLaurin and Harmon couldn't be less similar. When you're talking about deploying talent across the formation, Kelvin Harmon's route inventory does not intersect with Terry McLaurin's route inventory ever.
0: And I, if I'm if I'm Chicago and I'm sitting at Kelvin Harmon and Riley Ridley, I personally would have taken Kelvin Harmon and I don't I don't know what the hell happened in Chicago, but I digress. I don't want to go down this path right now. Kelvin Harmon definitely
1: fell and it was a slip, man. If you're Kelvin Harmon, you have an opportunity to go to the Baltimore Ravens with the 30th pick in the 3rd round where they drafted Miles Boykin. Do you do it, or would you prefer to land in Washington with a quarterback that can throw in the sixth round? I guess the question is if you're a wide receiver who
0: believes that the draft capital doesn't matter, I mean, draft capital being everything, I would rather go in the third round, but I would rather be playing in Washington. That's a tough call. I mean, you obviously you want to have the draft capital to support your opportunity. So Baltimore is the team that, in the end, you're going to likely choose to go to. But I would much rather have Dwayne Haskins, who I've not seen throw in the NFL yet, in a depth chart that's relatively wide open, versus go and play with Lamar Jackson and have Marquise Brown,
1: who's an upgrade on John Brown, possibly. Don't say possibly. Come on. Don't say possibly. Don't do it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Marquise Brown is a push, by the way, because... He landed in a bad place with a quarterback that hasn't proven that he can make NFL throws consistently, but he was the first receiver off the board. And so for that reason, it's a push. That's great. It's Philip Dorsett. Perfect. He has the draft capital with a bad landing position. It's a push. And a bad foot. Let's go forward. Let's keep going. One plus negative one is zero. Push. <clears throat> and for our 2QB and Superflex enthusiasts... Dwayne Haskins is your 102 in Superflex Leagues. I have the 102 in a couple Superflex Leagues, and I will be drafting Dwayne Haskins for the record for all the reasons we've talked about. There's much less bust risk for these quarterbacks drafted by teams in desperate need of quarterback talent in the first half of the first round, and that's where Dwayne Haskins went. So there's a lower risk that he gets Rashad pennied or has to wait a year... To command targets. And for that reason, I'm going Dwayne Haskins. And then I can trade him next year if I want to. So which running back suffered the NFL draft the most? Man, I think everybody kind of went where
0: they were supposed to go. I mean, some guys landed in competition. But if I had to pick the guy that suffered the most. Isn't it
1: easy? This is easy. Why are you
0: vacillating? I, what do you mean? So Alexander Madison went to to Minnesota.
1: This is a straightforward answer. It's obvious. We didn't have Alexander Madison ranked in the top 10. That's what I'm saying. He didn't go to a good spot. Alexander Madison has the profile of an NFL backup. We all know that. And the NFL viewed him as an NFL backup and drafted him to be an NFL backup. So there's nothing to say about Alexander Madison. There's nothing to see here. But there is one player who was devastated by the NFL draft. Who, when he heard his name called, slumped in his chair and probably cried harder than DK Metcalf. You know who he is. Jesus Christ, mom. Let me try this shirt on. I like it.
0: Listen, I'm just going to throw it out there. Are we going with Damian Harris here? Is that... No! Who
1: the hell fell? Nobody... Daryl Henderson went to the fucking Rams and he's parked behind Todd Gurley. Why the fuck? It's over. Is he going to get a carry next year? I don't know. Or, in an ironic twist, did Daryl Henderson somehow Trey Mason Todd Gurley? Because that's the other option. So more of a negative for Todd Gurley than it was for Daryl Henderson. Daryl Henderson's opportunity is shot. No, it's equally negative. It's a negative for both. When you put a talented running back on a roster with a top five running back, it's bad for everybody involved. It's not good for Todd Gurley. It's like one of those Old West standoffs where both guys turn around and shoot and they both kill each other. Daryl Henderson is arguably the most efficient running back of all time with a yards per carry closing in on 9.0 for consecutive seasons. He's best comparable to Maurice Jones-Drew on player profiler, and the guy goes to the Rams to be Todd Gurley's toiletry caddy in the locker room? Really? Really? How is this possible, man? What are the Rams doing? This is this is
0: McVay looking at the board and going, "This is the best player available" and taking Daryl Henderson.
1: Daryl Henderson's a talent, man. He's a great player. I know it's a redundancy, but where does he go in dynasty rookie drafts now? He's a late second rounder at this point, right? Because he's not going to get year one opportunity unless we believe that Todd Gurley has a significant injury for which he's opted not to get surgery to fix. What's happening in Los Angeles is a full-blown mystery. It's a complete conundrum. It doesn't make any sense.
0: I mean, again, if, 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 if McVay came to you and goes, look, this was the best player on our board, and they took him, I mean, we talk about this all the time, we knock teams...
1: Well, then they have a backwards process, because at no point in a draft should a running back be your best player available... <laughs> and if a running back is your best player available, and you have Todd Gurley, you go ahead and don't draft that player, and you go to literally any other position. To be fair, at least they got him in round three. That's a a great spot to get him. It is a great spot. It is good value. It's hard to find a running back with a better profile available in the third round ever. So I agree with the draft position, just not the team that drafted him. Maybe, they th- maybe they're going to get out on Todd Gurley. Why couldn't the Kansas City Chiefs have drafted him? Do you realize how good Daryl Henderson could have been on the Kansas City Chiefs? It would have been bananas, bananas, bananas. But instead, Daryl Henderson slipped on a banana peel in day two. Daryl Henderson slipped on a banana peel in day two. And that's the show. Genius. Genius.
0: <laughs> it's a thought of banana peel. I in my in my mind, I'm like, I don't know how we're getting out of this show. There's just so much more to talk about. I don't even
1: We're ending it with risers and fallers, relevant guys moving up and down the rankings that you care about. And then next week we can talk about the free agents, like Emmanuel Hall, what to do with these incumbents that won or lost the draft, what do you do with John Kelly, what do you do with Lamar Miller? Lamar Miller's surging, John Kelly's dead. We have plenty of shows in the next few months to get into all these other things, but what people wanted to hear about was Hakeem Butler and they wanted to hear about Miles Sanders, so we gave it to them.
0: Yeah, and you know, and
1: they wanted to hear about uh, John Ursua also, so we got that in there too. There was a guy from Hawaii that was the signature overdrafted player in the draft. His name is Jelani Tava'i. The Lions opted to invest in stopping the run. And then right after that, there was a run on cornerbacks because of course there was. (laughs) Teams that focus on the right details, like the Patriots going with Jawan Williams, the Browns with Greedy Williams. Can we please talk about the selection of Jawan Winfrey before some of these other guys? The Broncos are notoriously bad at the act of selecting good players in the draft. It's just a Colorado guy. They they literally just went down the street and drafted a guy that they saw. And Ashton Doolin goes undrafted. Perfect.
0: Stanley Morgan Jr. undrafted.
1: Yeah, Stanley Morgan and Ashton Doolin go undrafted. That is just rich. That is, <laughs> that is just rich. I'm glad we didn't get into Ashton Doolin this week.
0: We can talk about it next week.
1: I wanna talk about the NFL draft. We have 50 plus other shows that we do every year that we can devote to shenanigans. Not this show, not today. I just drafted my first player in a dynasty rookie draft just now. What pick? At the 106 in a super flex league. I have a good team, I traded up three spots. Who do you think I drafted? A guy I was willing to trade up for. And I never trade up. I'm going A.J. Brown, that's my guess. No, he would have been there at 109. Really? What? He would have been there. I could have waited for AJ Brown. It's also tight end premium, so TJ Hawkinson was already gone.
0: Wow, okay. Uh traded up for him.
1: Did Isabella fall there? Isabella would have been there for me anyway. Miles Sanders. Hmm. Interesting. I thought he would have been gone by then. It went Nikhil Harry. Tyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, Josh Jacobs, TJ Hawkinson. That guy that had two out of the next three picks needed running back bad.
0: I've got the 101 and the 102 in a league, and I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I might trade them.
1: Is it Superflex?
0: Nope. It's just a standard. Oh, if it's a traditional
1: league, man, you got to get out of
0: there. I know. I'm, I'm thinking about trading out of those picks. So just so I can go, I don't know, either get some, some good younger players if people are looking to shed them or I'll just try to get 20-20 picks, I guess. But the thing is, we do a lottery in this league. So I never know, like I'm gambling, you know. If I have the 102 and I trade it to a guy and he's a lottery pick, it might be the 106. But it'll be a good draft class. I mean, I know we say this every year. Perpetually, this is like, oh yeah, next year's better. Oh yeah, next year's better. Next year's actually better.
1: Next year's way better. Next year's and very good. to trade up, I did pick swaps. Yeah actually traded a second rounder in 2020 for a fourth rounder in 2020 but the gamble is that my team will still be good in 2020 and it would have been a late second and i don't think that late seconds have a lot of value over replacement right and i really value miles sanders like a lot he went to a good spot that's for sure I want Miles Sanders bad. I had a major hard on for Miles Sanders. Like he's the one guy in a traditional league that you can feel good about picking 1-1. Right. He went in the second round and I get it, but I'll take the superior talent on the superior team in the second round over the inferior talent on the inferior team in the first round. When you're comparing Josh Jacobs and Miles Sanders, yeah. Because to me, those are the two guys. It's 101, 102, those two guys. I mean,
0: if you're going running back, that's
1: certainly the two players that I'm looking at. You have to go running back. You have to go running back in the first round. In theory, you can go wide receiver, and I've seen it done. But most receivers lose value in their first year. Here's the other problem. It depends on the on the depth of your league, too. I get the
0: running back thing. I, I'm in a 14-team league in a few, and... Man, receivers super important there too. But yeah, you know, running backs are scarce in a 14-team league as well. You got more starting receivers, clearly, than running backs on the field. So having that talent is,
1: I mean, it's important. These are incredibly deep rosters. There are no running backs available. Darius Jackson, Matthew Days, D'Angelo Henderson are all owned. I know because I own them. They're on my taxi squad. With Rock Thomas. It's just such a crazy deep league where you can actually find talent at wide receiver i grabbed charles johnson on the waiver wire just recently Uh, back on it no because he's he's back man he was the aaf wide receiver mvp he's now on philadelphia there's a decent chance that he cracks that roster and produces like chester rogers you can get guys Mohammed sanu you can get guys that'll give you points at wide receiver, you can't find anyone that's going to give you ten points at running back. You can't find ten points a game at running back. You just can't. So it's position scarcity and it's value retention from year one to year two. None of these guys are going to do anything relevant. And
0: here's here's the truth of it. It's the red paperclip theory. Like if I own Charles Johnson, I'm trying to package him together to to trade him up for a to trade him up for a leather hat. Now I'm going to take that leather hat. I'm gonna I'm gonna trade it up for a uh, I don't know a nice a nice wooden table that was homemade. Then I'm gonna get that wooden table. I'm gonna trade that thing
1: up. For- what I'm telling you is, in a league with very deep rosters, you can still find very inexpensive, 10 point per game production in the wide receiver pool with free agents or by adding a guy in trade. Just you know, giving a fourth rounder for Cole Beasley or something like that. You can always do that in a league like this. Running back scarcity is such that you, you cannot find a ten points a game running back. If you're trying to get a running back that produces it all, someone's gonna want a significant asset in return. That's the deal with running backs. As offenses are now spreading it out more and they're spreading the targets out more. There's just a deeper pool of talent at wide receiver. It's
0: just such a gamble on on Charles like Charles Johnson. When is Charles Johnson gonna have a ten point game?
1: No, I don't know. I'm just I'm saying that that's the player that's available on waiver wire. That he's available on the waiver wire as long as you act quickly. Otherwise, someone else would have scooped him. It's crazy. And like I have Deshaun Jackson, and I'm not throwing him in. People ask me just to throw him into a deal. No way. The guy at 105. I tried to trade up for the guy at 105, assuming he was going Miles Sanders, and he wanted Matt Breida, and I was like, no, no, it's a running back. No way. I need a running back that produces fantasy points. Matt Breida scored 162 fantasy points last year. That's 10 points a game. That's exactly 10 points a game. Like we're saying, no way. I need that guy. Oh, especially
0: at the volatility. Because I mean, Breida. I mean, Breida's got the history too of. So it.
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, Breida's produced, and it, things could really break right for Breida. No way. I'm giving that up for a trade up. But I'll give up a 2020 late second in exchange for a fourth rounder. I'll do that. Right, for a player that you don't know who he is or what he's gonna be. Yeah, the pick swap. Because I know the 2020 class is going to be great at the top because we have five stud running backs that are likely to come out, plus a couple quarterbacks and three or four wide receivers that we know should be low risk, high reward. But that's the first round. I did a study for the app You know, how we value picks and the first round picks for 2020 are much more valuable than the first round picks for 2019 just because of the talent profile of those respective player pools. But once you get to the second round, it all evens out. The guys that are drafted at the beginning of the second round in 2020 are going to look like the guys drafted in the early second round in 2019. Right. It's Hakeem Butler. It's Andy Isabella it's Daryl Henderson. There'll be guys just like that next year in the second round. It's really about the high-end guys, especially in the first half of the first round. That's the major difference between 2019 and 2020. And it's the running backs. I value those running backs highly. So the fact that we have Etienne, Dobbins, Taylor, Akers. Ridiculous. Najee Harris. But Uh-oh. here's the problem. We thought Damien Harris was gonna come out in 2018. And he didn't. So we don't know if Najee Harris is coming out. Well, if his class is as good as people say it is, uh, he'll have a decision to make. And we don't know if Dobbins is coming out. We're pretty sure Dobbins is coming out. We're pretty sure Akers is coming out. But we're not sure. Etienne's probably coming out. But Etienne is 200 pounds. He doesn't have feature back size. Jonathan Taylor is absolutely coming out. Yeah, Jonathan Taylor's coming out for sure. And that's what we know for sure. Dobbins probably coming out. Akers probably coming out. Etienne probably coming out, but also does not have a bell cow profile. So we have at least three bona fide bell cows in the 2020 class. What about DeAndre Swift? That's another
0: one that's way up there, too. There's a lot of names, man.
1: Now, will DeAndre Swift come out? Not necessarily. We don't know. But there's a chance that we have Swift and Najee Harris to go with Etienne and Taylor and Dobbins, and that's exciting to me. And and that pushes up the value significantly of that 2020 class. But I'm not assuming all six of those guys come out. Here's the problem. Look at Bryce Love last year. One of the six I just mentioned will likely get injured, and one of the six will likely stay in school. And there's more names
0: than that. Really good players that are coming out. So, I mean, Boston College has A.J. Dillon, who's really good. Stephen Carr at USC is good. There's going to be names that are going to rise up here. And then the thing is, it's the players that we don't even Recognize their athleticism yet? That, that are going to test out the Miles Sanders guys that, you
1: know, that that rise suddenly. Yeah, there's going to be the risers like Miles Sanders, but those types of running backs were available at the 106 and Superflex leagues in 2019. So that's not a value differentiator when you're valuing picks. When you look at the wide receivers, you've got CeeDee Lamb, you got Jerry Judy, Justin Ross, T Higgins,
0: Tylen Wallace. Tylen Wallace is obviously up there, but,
1: uh, TCU's got Rager. Colin Johnson? Yeah, that's another one. We know CeeDee Lamb, we know Judy, and we know T Higgins, right? We know three guys, for sure. Right. And then Chenault, Colorado,
0: that's the guy that blew up, too. There's... How do you say his name, Chenault? Yeah, Chenault, then Ruggs.
1: Yeah, he's 220. He's 6'2", 220, so he has prototypical size. That's perfect. Either way, you get three or four wide receivers, probably a few less that you're excited about next year than you were this year, because we were legitimately excited about close to 10 wide receivers in this class. Yeah. If you go all the way out to Debo Samuel and Marquise Brown. So, by the way, last night I was at a I was at a social function last night, a fundraiser, and you know it's a gala. People are wearing suits. And this morning I was working at my computer. My wife came up to me and she said, "You really have to stop farting at these events." <laughs> 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 She's like, but she was dead serious. Like I started laughing, but she- I looked up at her and she was stone faced. She was not having it. She's like, seriously? You're too old to be farting at those events. Now, fortunately, I whisked us away in one case, and in the other case, someone else walked up right behind you, and your friend blamed them, (laughs) which was fast thinking on his part. So my friend caped up for me with some quick thinking, which was great. So I relied on a friend and my wife to rescue me from my own farts, but... It's really hard for me to not find that funny. You probably need to work on holding them.
0: Okay. Oh, wow. These, these aren't fake. How was that? <laughs> he stood up and bent over into
1: the mic. I could see it on Skype. He's... How was that? Was that good? How do you have these on call? I don't know. That was just pure luck. That was pure luck. My my wife wouldn't think of it as lucky, though. <laughs>
0: No, it's not. I don't look at it like it's lucky.
1: But the audience loves it. People think farts are funny because they are funny. Hello, they are. My daughter thinks they're hilarious as well. So <sighs> they're hilarious. You know, we are a fun show. We are a juvenile fun show and it's okay. We're rhyming off people's names, calling Nick Dick and, and farting, shooting off boner sounders every other segment. <laughs> It's fun, man. It's fun. There's a plenty of serious aspects of life. I have no problem with, with being maximum silly on a fantasy football podcast. Thank you very much. It's got to be. My overarching thesis is that there's the haves and the have-nots. They're the teams with the good process, and they just continue to stack advantage on top of advantage. Right. And you have the teams that are backward in their roster construction process and their talent evaluation, and so they keep falling further behind because San Francisco, you're drafting a punter in round four. You just can't afford to punt picks, (laughs) literally, when other teams are stockpiling quality players on the back of their roster. You can't afford to do that. And what I've found is that it's really teams that are trying to fit players around a scheme, instead of building a scheme around the players the teams that go and get the best players and then build a scheme around them have a lot more success whereas you see kyle shanahan is drafting players over drafting players time and time again because of a specific scheme and that's a losing game
0: yeah well we always talk about that too you know take the best talent on the board you know load load up with talent because if you're trying to you're trying to build around just grabbing a player i don't know that it's gonna work and You see it take place in this draft multiple times. Multiple times. Can
1: you believe Tampa, Houston, Kansas City, Miami all passed on running back? I cannot. We're not going to do the song. All that stuff would be anticlimactic. This is a meat and potato show. There's no histrionics. There's no bells and whistles. By the way, I found for future shows, I found an amazing song. I can't wait to play the video for you. I'm so excited. It's a month into the future, but I found a couple songs. I found a good song interplay that I want to do, and your reaction is going to be hilarious. Oh, God. All right. I mean, you could if you wanted to do your research, which you never will, so I'm not worried about it. Probably never. You could go into the show sheet and find the songs that I have put in there at the end of the show sheet for future shows, and you could go explore the videos, but you never will because you rarely look at the show sheet and you certainly don't process any of the information.
0: Sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> Sounds... Gong sound effects, buzzers, just make it wacky.
1: I have the buzzer sound if you need
0: it. Turn it into a game show. How Paris Campbell and Andy Isabella won the NFL Draft.
1: I synced it up, so it's playing on the Bluetooth speaker and it's playing on the on the second track in iMovie. I got it synced up perfectly to the syllable.
0: Good God, those glasses are getting some mileage, by the way. They're great
1: glasses for this purpose. They're great rock and roll glasses. <laughs> they really are. I have the $400 sunglasses. Those are better. Those are like $10 at CVS. You can get some cheap ones that are nice. These don't block the sun at all. They're terrible, but they look the part. No one running any NFL front office participates in any Debbie League. Nick Whalen loves Debbie Leagues. Stop it. No, we're not doing this. This is a down to business show. I knew you would try to break my concentration with a Dick Whalen reference and you did it in the first five minutes. I thought you said dick there. McCole Hartman! <clears throat> Deontay Johnson! <laughs> I thought
0: you said dick there.
1: Let me guess, let me guess. His response was laughing crying emojis. I thought you said dick there. They're beating you on every patch of grass in Indianapolis. I don't wanna say I agree. So let me get this straight. Not only are you ignoring the show sheet, you are bringing up players out of order and out of context just to get them out of the way of your own mind. We had a show sheet this week. An actual riser. Do you have one?
0: Yes or no? I think if they work on his eccentric and isometric strength and different planes and vectors in a few months, he can correct it. He also has
1: all the physiological mumbo jumbo down.
0: It doesn't feel good to say I agree. Why are you so difficult? You're like my mom when I went clothes shopping back in junior high school. Just let me pick what I want to wear. I want to wear what I want to wear. Just please pay for it because I don't have any money. I want to say what I want to say on the podcast that you're producing. (laughs) Eccentric and isometric strength and vectors. Eccentric and isometric strength and vectors. Eccentric and isometric
1: strength and vectors. Whenever you just drop that lack of production grenade in the middle, it's just, there's so much collateral damage. I don't want to say I agree. It's just been Russell Wilson and a bunch of Smurfs. I thought you said dick there. They're giving you money and weapons, Nate. How does that not translate into more attempts? how, 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 how? I don't want to say I agree. His face looks like one of those rubber president's masks that the bank robbers wear. Jesus, man. Every team needs an elite decoy, Nate. Jesus, man. He has at least one 1,300-yard season with double-digit touchdowns in him. I don't know when it's going to be, but he'll deliver that, and then you won't hear from him again. Oh, Jesus, come on. Let's, 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 good God. Oh, Jesus, come on. Oh, yes. Yes, that's the riser, man. I can't wait for Paris Campbell to show off his complete route inventory at the next level and prove all of these nonsense wielding film grinders wrong. We had him in the top three before the draft and he's very much inside the top three after the draft. Couldn't have gone to a better spot, love it, love it. Hard to map out a better end game for Kelvin Benjamin once he slipped into day three. Hold on, you just said Kelvin Benjamin. I don't even like Hakeem Butler, and I would have loved the opportunity to draft him in the fourth round. We've come a long way, Matt, since the beginning of the show. And the NFL viewed him as an NFL backup and drafted him to be an NFL backup, so there's nothing to say about Alexander Madison. There's nothing to see here. I didn't ask you for who your push was. I asked you for your highest riser, and you give me A.J. Brown, who is not a riser. He is a faller. I'm not calling A.J. Brown a faller. That's ridiculous. He's not a faller. He went to Tennessee. This is not a good landing position. But he is falling. You have to admit he's falling. If you don't admit he's falling, you're a disingenuous fraudster. You're Matt Waldman. How dare you? And we should start a GoFundMe to get Matt Waldman a new TV. When he heard his name called, slumped in his chair and probably cried harder than D.K. Metcalf. You know who he is. Jesus Christ, mom, let me try this shirt on, I like it! In an ironic twist, did Daryl Henderson somehow Trey Mason Todd Gurley? Oh, you prick. You had to do that, huh? Stop chasing outliers! Stop talking to me about things that are unlikely! I don't want to say I agree! Ugh! Oh, Jesus, come
0: on. Jesus, man. How dare you!
1: They drafted Isabella! I was there! I don't want to say I agree! He's not Kareem Hunt! How dare you? Chris Carson stole Rashad Penny's lunch and ate it in front of him.
0: Watching your television.
1: About to turn the channel to the Iowa State Cyclones game, everybody. I'm Want to tell you about what I'm seeing? That has to be the best wide receiver prospect I've ever seen. I thought you said dick there. That's not a Ferrari that you're describing. You're describing a Rolls-Royce Freeman. That's <laughs> so good. Bringing it back. If a running back is your best player available, and you have Todd Gurley, you go ahead and don't draft that player, and you go to literally any other position. Jesus, man. It's like one of those Old West standoffs where both guys turn around and shoot, and they both kill each other. Ugh! I traded up to get Miles Sanders. <laughs>
0: I don't want to shit all over Matt Waldman. I'm going to start a fake GoFundMe account for that new tube TV for him, though. Just put it up there.
1: $250 is all we need. Yeah, these are manual butt sound effects.
0: I don't want to shit all over Matt Waldman.
1: In the history of wide receivers, Matt Waldman has never seen a more talented player than fourth-rounder Hakeem Butler. that's not a Ferrari that you're describing. You're describing a Rolls Royce Freeman.